not only emotionally, but also physically. And we'll talk about that more as we go forward. Now, in week one of this series, so in last week, we kind of talked about, we, we, we touched on how the body, our human body, heals itself. And how our human body has the ability to heal itself in some amazing ways. And then we talked about how the church, according to the new covenant, is Christ's body. Christ is at the head of that body. We, as followers of Jesus, we make up the parts of the body and the whole thing is infused with God's spirit. It's pretty, it's pretty miraculous. And it's pretty interesting, the parallels between the human body and how God, Jesus, in the new covenant, describes the church body. It's, it's very interesting how the parallels are there. And uh, when we're doing our part, when we're all doing our part as a part of the body, then we naturally are going to get healthier emotionally. When all of the parts of the body are working together the way that the body and the parts are intended to do. We're going to get healthier emotionally. And, and we're actually, we talked about last week a little bit, how we're designed by God and we're created in His image um, to really do things, some essential things, like He does. And at the very top of that list, the very first one is love. We were designed and created by God to love. That's the very nature of who God is. And, and love, most often, is expressed through relationship, right? It's, it's expressed through relationship, whether it be family members or friends or a church body. Love is most often going to be expressed in relationship. Now, you think about a growing human, a growing person, right? You think about a baby, newborn baby, when they're born. At the moment that they're born, are they born with compassion? No. The answer is no. It was rhetorical, but the answer is no. They're not born with compassion. A newborn baby does not come out and look at mom and go, you know, mom, I'm so sorry about all that. I know that had to be traumatic. Nobody ever talks about dad either on that. That's traumatic for dad too. But, the, but yes, it is. Nobody, the, you never talk about dad. <laughs> anyway, but the baby never comes out like, oh, yeah, it was tough. I know it was tough. It was hard on you. But it's going to be worth it, mom. It's not how it works. We're not born with compassion. It doesn't come pre-installed. We learn it. We're taught it. And love is no different. The first thing that we did when we were born, every one of us, I expect, to a person, pretty quickly after we were born, we started yelling. We started screaming. We started crying. Why? Why? Why does a baby yell? Why does a baby scream? Why does a baby cry? Because they're searching for something. They're in a seeker position. They're searching for love. They're searching for relationship. They're searching for connection. See, that's the central ingredient to life. That, that's, that's at the center of life. It's not yelling and crying, which is what we do when we come out. No, it's actually our search for love, our search for connection, our search for relationship. Now, to describe that, we've got another word. We're going to be using several words this morning. And a couple of those words are, I've already mentioned one, connection. But another word for what we're trying to explain this morning is bonding. You've probably heard that. Bonding, you know, as soon as a baby's born, what do they, what do they want to do? What is, the, what is the doctor or the nurse, what do they do? They put the baby up on mom's chest, right? Why? Bonding, connection, relationship. 
The Bible uses both of those descriptions for Christ followers as well. It's interesting. Again, the parallels are amazing. It's almost like God designed this whole thing. It's just it's amazing. Because the Bible describes Christ followers the same way. A Christ follower, according to the New Covenant, is a bond servant. You may have heard that. A bond servant. Because of love, we're joined in a relationship that we were invited into by God Himself. A mother says to an infant, probably many, many times through its life, through a baby's life, through a child's life, I'm 37 years old. It still happens. A mother says to a child, come to me. Come on. Let me give you what you need. You need something. I've got what you need. Let me give it to you. Right? It happens throughout life. Mom says to a child, come to me. And bonding and connection develops. This is the way David put it in in the 22nd Psalm, verse 9. David said, you brought me safely from my mother's womb and led me to trust you, big word there, trust, trust you at my mother's breast. We don't realize when it happens, you know? We don't understand when that trusting and that bonding and that connection actually happens. It just happens over time and over continual examples and experiences where we experience bonding and trust and connection. Another word to describe that, so we've used the word connection, we've used the word bonding, another word to describe that is attachment. Attachment. And God actually uses that phrase, attachment, to describe us as well. Again, these parallels, they're all over the place. If we look hard, they're all over the place. God uses the word attachment to describe a Christ follower. See, Christ followers make up the body of Jesus, and the whole body is attached, and it's held together as one. We're the only faith, the only one in the history of this human experience where our faith, our belief system, is is not only, it's, it's it's a God who exists on His own, but ours is the only one that also exist in a relationship. It's, he's not alone. We, we have something called the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And they, they work together in relationship. God in the expression as we understand it is connection. It's relationship. We're the only one. Connection is the very nature of His existence. And that's also God's plan for me. Connected to Him, absolutely. But also connected to his body. See, when we're separated from connection, when we have no connection to God, and therefore no connection to his body, the new covenant actually describes that as death. No other word for it, death. When we are not connected to God or his body, as a result, the Bible, the new covenant says that's death. That's it. That's the end of the run. See, there are only two positions in the universe. There's only two. There's life and there's death. That's it. There's nothing else. You have life and you have death. And the New Covenant says if we're not connected to God and connected to His body as a result, we are experiencing death. Lack of connection is death. See, life is not first about being good. How good we can be. How many rules we can follow. And and how good we can do as we go through this life. Actually, that is the law. That's that's religion. Religion says you've got to be good. That's not the way God set this thing up. 
God actually set this thing up. When you're born, you're dead. You're not connected. God set this thing up that the first thing has to be reconciliation. Brought back into connection with him, and as a result, hopefully, with his body. See, we came into this world, again, the parallels, like babies. <laughs> Yelling and crying and screaming. We were supposed to learn about trust along the way. That process of learning how to trust and learning how to connect and learning how to, uh, to, to bond and learning how to share life with people, that was supposed to happen along the way. We were supposed to learn trust along the way. We, we weren't born with that in us. We didn't really have it. We were supposed to learn. But somewhere along the way, for many of us, maybe for all of us, something kind of went wrong. We, we kind of lost the ability to trust. And we kind of lost that very important installation into our lives. And as we became adults, as we grew up and we became adults, sometimes we don't even know what it is we need. We don't even know. Think about this. I'll give you an example. And I think everybody can relate to this one. Someone walks up to you and says, how you doing? How do you respond? Fine. I'm good. Ah, doing great. Doing great. Doing fine. Couldn't be better. I mean, Arkansas did win last night, so I'm pretty good. But that's how we respond. How are you doing? Where are you at? What are you experiencing? How are you experiencing? I'm fine. Don't worry about me. I got this. As an adult, we don't even know what it is we really need. Now, you know you're not fine. I know I'm not fine. I know I'm struggling. I know I'm confused. I know I'm, I'm, I'm kind of walking around aimlessly, reaching in the dark, trying to find what it is I'm looking for. But our response, I'm okay. Don't worry about me. I got this. That is disconnection. That is a lack of connection. See, with a baby... There's that parallel again. With a baby, when a baby's born, when that newborn is born, and those of you that have experienced that recently, or maybe you're a grandparent and you've experienced that recently, uh, or, or a sibling, or whatever the case may be, a baby is born into a need state. A baby is dependent the moment they're born. They're in a dependent state. And that is a very powerful place to be because it's only when we're in a need state that we have the ability to receive what we need. If we don't know what we need, how in the world can we receive it? A baby, when they're born, is born into a need state, which is very powerful. The Bible actually puts it like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's a need state. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And it also says, we love first, or we love because he first loved us. Because we're in a need state. We needed it. I don't know why I need love. I don't know why I need connection. I don't know why I need those things. I just do. And when I don't have it, I notice it. And God knew that. And so he said, I, you love because I loved you first. I showed you how to do it. A baby's going to reach out, right? A baby's going to reach out. They're going to reach out to a mom. They're going to reach out to a dad, to a grandparent, to a caretaker. A baby's going to reach out when they need something. They're going to let you know, aren't they? I am hungry. I am uh, my stomach hurts. I am tired. I am overstimulated. That's a new one for me. I, didn't, I never heard that term until I had kids. I am overstimulated, and I understand what it means. But they're going to let you know. They're going to reach out. They're going to say, I need something. And what happens? Mama swoops in. Daddy swoops in. I keep saying, normally, the script, honestly, what we have written down here just says mom. I'm saying dad, too. 
because, you know, dad swoops in. Mom swoops in, dad swoops in, grandma swoops in, grandpa swoops in, somebody swoops in and takes care of that need every time. You're hungry? <laughs> Here we go. Let me give you what you need. Baby's in a need state, and it receives what it needs because mom takes care of it. And as a result, they're filled. They're satisfied. Does it last? No. No, it never lasts. For some, it lasts longer than others. But it never lasts, does it? Right? They, they, they burp. They're comfortable. They're happy. They're warm. They're, they're being taken care of, and they go to sleep. Hour. Less. More. Depends. Passes. What happens? They wake up. What do they do? They cry. Why? Because they need something. They're hungry. They need to be picked up. They need to be nurtured. They need to be connected with. They need to be loved. Something's wrong. I need you. And what happens? There's mama. There's daddy. There's grandma. There's, there we are. And we take care and we give them what they need. See, what's happening, and we don't even realize it, but what's happening over time, over a period of time, what's happening is um, we are developing that infant, that newborn, that child is developing trust in a parent. Psychologists actually have um, a word for this. It's called secure attachment. Over time, it doesn't happen once, but over time, as that baby is in a need state and then somebody steps in and gives them what they need and they're satisfied and they're filled and it continues to happen over time, a secure attachment is developed because trust is developed. How cool is that? I mean, that's pretty cool how God's designed this whole thing. Me, humans in general, people, this is a rule. People who experience secure attachments thrive from the womb to the tomb. They do. I mean, that's kind of pithy, but it, it, it's accurate. People that have experienced in their life secure attachments, in, especially those that have experienced secure attachments in many facets of their life, they thrive from the womb to the tomb. If a baby is born in an institution and doesn't really get these things we're talking about. Now, maybe they're fed and, and they're watered. I hate to say watered. That sounds wrong. But you know what I'm trying to say. They, they get what they need physically. But that's all. They don't get the love. They don't get the connection. They don't develop that really that secure attachment that psychologists say we have to have to thrive. When they don't get that, something interesting happens. By the age of 10, those children, if they have a scan of their brain, there are dark spots on the brain in the places where those things should be firing. They don't have it. It's not there. It hasn't been developed. It hasn't been learned. That trust and those secure attachments have never been learned because, man, the love wasn't there. The hardwiring, the installation of all of these things that we need to thrive simply are not there because they require love. It's so crazy. And, and this is... For me, this is an area that's so interesting to me because the mind and the body and how they interact and how they're connected and how the mind affects the body and the body affects the mind and it all works together, it's a problem that has baffled uh, scientists, philosophers, researchers for centuries. We, we don't know. We do not know why the emotional state affects the physical state and vice versa. We, we really don't know. We just know it does. We don't understand why the concept of love affects our physical being so much. We have no idea. We just know it does. We just know the end result. We don't know the, 
how to get from point A to point B. Here's an interesting one to kind of prove that. There's a study, one specific study took um, several individuals age 90 and above who had experienced either a heart attack or a stroke. And they took these, uh, these people and they divided them into two groups. And in the one group, they not only treated the problems medically, what they need from a, you know, a medicinal perspective, put them in the hospital, whatever the case may be. They didn't just treat the, the problem. They also um, allowed that group to process what they had experienced, talk about what they experienced, connect with other people that had experienced the pain and the illness and the sickness that they had experienced. And then the other group, they just treated medically. Guess what? This group had a far lower reoccurrence of any type of heart, uh, heart, heart attack, stroke, anything along those lines. A much lower percentage, whereas this, of course, was much higher. Why? We really don't know. We don't know why. We just know it's true. We know that love and connection and bonding and secure attachments are absolutely pivotal to our thriving. Bonding affects us from the time we're born until we're into our 90s. It never stops. Like I said, I'm 37 years old. And I, and I still experience it. I mean, when, when I need something, if mama or daddy's not there, I notice it. Like, what the, what's going on here? You know, I mean, you get on the phone and mama don't answer. It's like, what, what's, what does she have more important than me? Nothing. You know what I'm talking about. Y'all seen the Facebook memes? Come on. Y'all know what I'm talking about it never stops. <laughs> we're always in need of that connection and that attachment and that bonding. We're always in need of it. All the way through life. Because separation from connectedness, the Bible describes it as what? Death. Death. I mean, that's, again, life, death. That's it. The Bible describes that lack of connection as death. It's true physically and it's also true spiritually. The Bible says we are spiritually dead at the moment of our birth. Why? No connection. We're not connected. We're not connected to God, and therefore we're, not, we're just not connected. It's kind of like being born into a state or a world of the walking dead, right? Anybody watch The Walking Dead back before it kind of got weird? You know, the first few seasons were really awesome. It's kind of like being born into the world of the walking dead until we're connected. And once we're connected, once we're connected to God and therefore connected to his body, starts to change. But until then, it's like the walking dead, man. Christ followers tend to think of that in a uh, connectedness more in a positional manner. I know I did. More of a positional manner. They say things like, and this is a really, we love little pithy statements in, in church, right? You know, we love those. Like, I like that. We say things like this. Well, Christians, we're all in Christ. Right? We say that because it's in the Bible. I mean, that, that comes directly from the Bible. We're in Christ as Christians. We are in Christ. That doesn't really, we kind of miss what the word in, I-N, two little letters, two letters, one short little word. We, we actually kind of miss what that word in really means. I'm in Christ. It's not a position. It, it, again, to go back to that baby analogy, that'd be like saying when a baby is born, when they come day on day one or if you're like me, day two, because, oh my gosh, I would have liked to have stayed for three weeks. You know, that, that day coming home with that first kid was... That was traumatic. I would have stayed as long as they would have let me. But when you go home on that first or second day, and you take the baby, and you say, the baby is, you are now in the family. But you never talk to the baby. You never connect to the baby. You never show the baby any connection. Is the baby connected to the family? No. 
That's not what the word in actually means. That's not, that's not the point. That's not what Paul was trying to say. You see, it's more than a position in the family. It's a real connection that matters. The, the whole stream of metaphors that we find in the New Covenant, and there are tons of them on what we're talking about, all these metaphors, they're not just talking about positionally being in Christ. When you actually get a little deeper and explore what that word in means, you find the word is actually abiding in. That's a significant difference. Abiding in. Abiding in Him, which also becomes abiding with each other, connected to the body, connected to Christ, but also connected to His body, abiding in each other. And so that kind of leads us, Harley, to, to the question. The trick of that is, if that's what we're supposed to do, if that's what we're created to do, if that's the whole point, how do we get there? Yeah, and it must be tough to get there because Dr. Cloud talks about how in his research that 80% of pastors are dead. <laughs> By his definition, they are not abiding with the body of Christ, even though they're talking about it every week. They are not abiding with the body. They are giving, giving, giving. They are really not abiding. They're pouring out, but their gas tank, they start crying, they start fussing. We've got a lot of pastors who are emotionally at that point because they're not really attached to anybody who can fill them back up, being attached to the body. And those, those are pastors. So don't you think very possibly that if that's speaking of a pastor who's supposed to be leading the church, might that also be true of most people in America who call themselves Christians that were not really attached correctly to the body? Dr. Cloud says it's because something's wrong with our heart. He said something has gone wrong in our heart with what he would call the trust muscle in our heart, our emotional heart. And that comes about because we're not yeah. depending on anyone. Okay, I get that. And that makes total sense. But when did that happen? Yeah. When, when did we, or maybe the better word would be, where did we learn, me, speaking of me, where did I learn that it's all about output. Where did I learn right. that? Where did I learn that it's all about output? And it has nothing to do with depending on one another. Because again, the, the new covenant is really clear. Connected to God, connected to his body. Connected to Christ, connected to Christ's body. Where did we learn that it's all about output? Where did we learn that if it is to be, it is up to me? Where did that happen? Where did that shift happen? I mean, if we don't have a place in our lives for things that we need to come from other people and we don't allow those things to happen it's really almost like having a clogged artery in the body stuff's going out it's going out it's going out but nothing is ever coming back in and that i mean i'm no doctor but that is death that's the definition of death I mean, we can be around people all day long, and we've all done it, I've done it, I did it for years, still do it. Be around people all day long, talk to people all day long, 
but not have anything coming in, not really connect, not really engage, not really abide in. We've all done it. We're around people all day long. But if it never happens, and, and I think, Harley, it's because for me and for probably many of us, we never get ourselves to that need state of vulnerability. I need something. Now, I don't have a problem in other aspects of my life. In other aspects of my life, when I reach a need state, I feel it. Right? I know what I'm talking about. Yeah, right, yeah. This time change. Huh? Come on. Last Sunday, be honest. 11 o'clock. I barely started rumbling, didn't it? It does. We're in a need state. We need something. I'm hungry. And I need to be physically filled. And hopefully, hopefully, if I'm close enough to God. Yeah, yeah. Preach it. Come on. <laughs> if I'm close enough to God, um, I'm going to get to take in something holy, something righteous, like a number two with Polynesian sauce from Chick-fil-A. Because that is holy. <laughs> right? Oh, come on, guys. Work with me. Everybody loves Chick-fil-A, man. They came to Stuttgart three times in the last two months. And I stood in that line, and I'm not ashamed to admit it. But you want that holy thing because you need it. I'm hungry. My belly's rumbling. You need it. You get it. You eat it. You feel it. And that's great. And <laughs> you have an experience of transformation. If you do that enough, you have a significant experience of transformation, that being your belly. Um, I'm in the process of that transformation. I got my COVID-19. <laughs> Woo! Yeah. <laughs> sorry, go ahead. Get back. Sorry, okay. sorry. <laughs> it, it, it's just, again, I hate to keep going back to this baby analogy, but it works. Because it, God put it in place. He developed this whole thing. It's just like a baby. If it's going to grow, it's got to experience need states. It's got to be hungry. It's also got to have somebody there to feed it. It gives it food, baby breaks it down, uses it, transforms it into physical changes. Now, we can do the same thing emotionally. We can grow emotionally. But to get there, we have to get to that vulnerability need state. Yeah. So when that baby grows, becomes an adult, psychologically, now that adult... When they are feeling, so let's go to the emotions, when they're feeling alone or they're feeling down, then according to God's plan, we could go to my, I could go to my group, they could go to their group, and they could admit, they could get vulnerable, they could admit, they could be open, and their group could come around them and encourage them. Encourage. Even that word, you think about it, it sounds like this. You're putting courage into them. And in that point, we're beginning to be comforted. And so as a group, we are comforting the hurting. We are healing the brokenhearted. We are helping the weak. But we have to be in a place where we can admit, I have a need. And when we go into a need state... The other parts of the body, of Christ's body, can come around us and they can transform us and they can help us get to a better state. Proverbs chapter 13 says this, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is like a tree of life. And, and Proverbs says, is a tree of life, as that metaphor. So what does a tree do? Well, 
I guess in this case, a tree gives off fruit. If you watch a baby about six months old, maybe that baby does not want to leave its mother's side. Often they can't stand to even be away from the sight of their mom, or they don't want to be away. They want to be close to that mom. But after some of that trust is built and those connections are secure with that mother, then after that baby has been given enough, Here's what begins to happen. At some point, kind of those trees, that tree of life, that, that, that life-giving tree, fruit-giving tree, begins to kind of grow inside that child. And now suddenly that child can also, in the sense of connectedness, kind of be fed from that tree. And that baby now can be apart from the mom can be separated, doesn't have to see the mom all the time because they are being sustained by what has been planted into the life of that child. But not if they have never eaten. I'm just amazed the how the Jesus described the church, his church, as a body and how it is so perfectly fits the human experience. It's amazing. It's almost like it was designed that way. way, (laughs) So if if that person, if if we, I'll just say me, if I have that person or that group uh, or that prayer partner, or we could go down the list of, of different examples, but if I have that person in my life or those people in my life, that when I walk in and they say to me, Hey, how you doing? Where are you at right now? How you doing? How you, how are you thinking? How are you? If, in, if I've got those people in my life where I can be in a need state and in a vulnerability state and I can honestly say, I, I'm not great. I, I'm kind of confused right now. I, I'm struggling. I, I'm, I'm having a hard time. If we can honestly have those type of relationships and we can go in and we can admit that we're in a state of need and we're confused, we can come out with clarity. That's a transformational experience. Uh, If we go in and say, you know, I just don't know where to go. I don't know what I need to do. And we have a group of people that will come in around us and and, and help us and, and, and work with us. Have you tried this? Have you thought about that? Maybe this is the, you know, people that are investing in us then we can thrive. See, in a need state, we communicate our vulnerabilities, which are many, all of us, me for sure. We communicate our vulnerabilities. We don't parade our successes and pretend that we don't hurt. How you doing? I'm fine. I'm great. I got this thing figured out. I've got it together. We don't do that. We say, yeah, I don't have it figured out. When someone is in a psychological need state and We as a church, we come in as a church group and we meet those needs, something amazing happens. They experience transformation. And here's the cool thing, again, showing those parallels. Just like a baby. Baby has a need, mom feels the need. Baby has a need, dad feels the need. Baby has a need, mom feels the need, so on and so forth. Over time, what happens? Trust, connection, bonding. As we internalize that experience, And as we do it and it becomes a part of our structure and a part of who we are, it has now become a a part of our structure. It's 
how we live our life. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Cloud talks about, uh, he j- kind of jumps uh, analogies and talks about the Navy SEALs a little bit. He talks about how when they land behind enemy lines, which that's what Navy SEALs do, when they land behind enemy lines, as soon as they land, they ask three questions. And we're going to have those on the screen for you. Here's the first question they ask themselves. Where am I? <laughs> they need to know. Am I, did I land on target? Where am I as I am behind these enemy lines? Where am I? And for us, emotionally asking that question would say this to me, Harley, where am I today, emotionally? Do I need help? Do I need support? Am I feeling confused? Am I hurting? It's kind of a check-in question. Where am I? Here's the second question they ask. The Navy SEALs ask, where is the enemy? they got to know where the enemy is, exactly. And for us, we need to identify what is this enemy, possibly. And we're not talking about a person, but what is leading me to feel hurt the way I'm feeling hurt, to feel depressed the way I'm feeling depressed. Where, so where am I? What is the enemy? So what is doing this to me? Where, what is this obstacle in my life that's creating this feeling? And here's the third question they ask when they land. Where's my buddy? Because they don't do anything alone. And we shouldn't do anything alone. Dr. Cloud says that one day he was talking about this and a Navy SEAL who was there came up to him and he said, well, actually, we ask all three of those questions, yes, but we don't ask them in that order. We actually ask them all at the same time. And he said this, but if we, we may not know the answer to where am I, I may not know the answer, where is my enemy, but if I can know the answer to where's my buddy, I know we're going to make it. We're going to be fine. So what we want to do this morning, and if you're a note taker, honestly, those three questions are some great, that'd be a great idea to write those things down. Where am I? Uh, where's the enemy? And, and where's my buddy? But what we want to do this morning, for all of us, Harley and myself included, we want to encourage you to take daily, moment by moment, an emotional GPS reading. An emotional GPS reading, moment by moment, every day. And ask those questions. Where am I emotionally right now? Where am I? What is the enemy? What's the problem? Why am I feeling this way? Question number two. And then, where's my buddy? Where's my help? Where are those secure attachments, those secure relationships that hopefully you are developing? Where am I at? Where is the enemy? Who is the enemy? And where is my buddy? Now, we can't do that every second. We know that. But most of us go years and may never do that. Is your psychological gas tank, is it empty? Is it full? Is it in between? Where's it at? Ask those questions. Am I full or am I empty? Now, this sounds so simple, Harley. It does. It sounds simple. I mean, you you listen to this and you think, well, yeah, I could have gotten that off a fortune cookie. But (laughs) it, it sounds simple. But if it's so simple, why don't we do it? Yeah. You know, and I think for the next few minutes, you're going to try to explain why do we not do that? Well, let's give it a shot. You know, Dr. Cloud, um, he talks about how some families, some people grow up in a family, and here's a quote from him. He said, some people grow up in families disconnected as hell, and here's what he means by that. He says, literally, that's what hell is. Hell is eternal disconnection. Disconnected from God, 
and disconnected. Hey, you're, someone who's in hell, or they're not, they're not at a party with a lot of people at another place. It is disconnection. Bodies all around, but no connection. And if we're disconnected, nothing is being taken into our life and being transformed. The skills, if we're disconnected, the skills of getting connected are just not part of us. You see, groups enforce what is normal to them as a group. And so if they're unhealthy, they're disconnected, and those are the norms that get reinforced over and over again. That's what is enforced, that's what's reinforced, and disconnection is repeated over and over. In a dysfunctional situation, family might be around a dinner table, and there's no connection. It's all isolation emotionally. No, if someone starts to talk about something vulnerable about them, someone at the table is going to enforce the norm of disconnection, and they're going to change the subject because, hey, we don't talk about things like that. You see it in couples. You see it in teenagers. Groups enforce their norms, always. So you take a family who's learning how to connect, who's learning how to function better, and around that table, maybe they take an opportunity to say, okay, let's talk about the good things today. What good happened? Now, now let's talk about where we struggled, the things that didn't go well. And if someone comes into that family detached, this family is going to enforce its new norm, which is connection, and they're going to say, hey, come on, I can tell something's wrong. What, what's wrong? What's going on? What's happening? They're going to enforce that norm. So let's ask this question. What kind of church are we building here? Stuttgart Harvest Church, and one day the church in Malvern. What kind of church are we building? What kind of groups inside of that church are we building what kind of serving teams are we building is it a church where we feel like we have to hide and pretend that everything is okay you know we can hide in all kinds of ways let's pretend for a moment that i'm a good teacher i know stretch let's just pretend <laughs> you know i could get, i could i could get into study mode and I could dig deep into theology and deep into studying and studying and reading and reading. And I could give and give and give and teach and teach and teach. What a great way to stay disconnected. Just to stay in my world of study and my world of teaching and stay disconnected from relationships in the body. Here's another way we can say disconnected. What a great way. If we have a serving heart, what a great way to just give and give and give and never be in a state where we need something from someone else. What a great way to stay disconnected. Where is the place for you that is safe enough for you to come out of hiding 
and admit your needs. We hope it is becoming this place here. You see, if we have grown up with this norm being disconnect, then our whole spiritual formation has been a disconnected spiritual model, which means it's possibly been all about theology and all about doctrine and all about gaining knowledge and all about maybe the law and, a, and nothing about being weak and real and in need. So we have a desire. We need to put ourselves into groups and into places, hopefully in the church, where we can be connected as a group and we can begin enforcing our new norms of connection where we can lovingly, compassionately, kindly say, come on, really, what's, what's going on? What's happening? Proverbs 20 tells us this, the purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out, and that's what we need to be. We need to be a connected people that learns how to draw out those hurts, those needs inside of other people's hearts and our own connection being vulnerable enough to go into a need state and there's skills involved for that but there's some and that's kind of what we've talked about a little bit but there's also some symptoms if we are not doing that there's some symptoms in our lives that can arise if we're not going into a need state this isn't true for everyone, but here are, is a general grouping of those. The specifics will vary from person to person, but just generally speaking, a symptom is of being disconnected. We can see it sometimes as depression. You see, depression is a loss deep down inside that somebody feels. Now, when we're not connected we are perpetually in a state of that verse we read a moment ago of our hope being deferred. We're wanting connection. It's nowhere to be found. And so we could get depressed. We could be around people all day long, but nobody knows what's going on inside of us. I have been there. That's one thing. Depression could be a result of that. Another sign, another symptom could be, for some people, could be uh, of disconnection, could be anxiety as well. We are not monkeys, but there was an experiment that we need to learn from. They took some monkeys back before Peter put a stop to all of that, but this was some good research. They took some monkeys and they stressed them. They didn't hurt them. They didn't harm them. They were stressing them. Lots of loud noises, flashing lights, just they were putting the, the monkeys under, and they were each in individual cage, under duress, under emotional stress. And then they would take the monkey and they would draw, uh, uh, do a, a blood draw, and they would test the, the levels of cortisol in their system as a comparison while that monkey was under that stress. And they, then they made one change. They kept the stress level the same, but they opened the door of the cage of that monkey and they put his buddy in there with him and they shut and they kept the stress 
the very same, same levels. And after a little bit, they did another blood draw, and they looked at the was dropped in half. Nothing had changed except he had his buddy, and it was dropped in half. That is one thing that connection does for us. Some of our most anxious moments in our lives, we feel emotionally isolated. We have to learn how to go into a need state and recognize that and admit that by asking ourselves, where am I right now? What's going on for me right now? Where am I? And then asking, where's the enemy? What's kind of maybe causing this? Where am I? What's the enemy? And then we need to move toward a safe place, a safe group, safe people. Healthy people move toward relationship, not away from it. Healthy people ask, where's my buddy? You see, no one on earth can be reconciled to God without saying in some way, God, I need you. And no one can be connected to or reconciled with another human on this planet without saying, friend, I need you. Spouse, I need you. I need you. And not in a philosophical way, but to actually admit I've got a real struggle and to get very practically into a need state, that's when it gets real. If I'm unhealthy or if I'm experiencing some depression or some anxiety, I need to learn connection. Connection. But if somehow we have learned that connecting with other people is not safe, because, hey, we live in a fallen world, and if I have realized connecting with other people is not safe, then I have to relearn that it can be safe. I have to learn how to reach out. But sometimes we just don't. Sometimes we just don't reach out. And you know what we might do instead? We might just get mad at the other people. We might say, you know what? No, I didn't reach out to them. Of course I didn't. If they really cared about me, they would be coming to me. They would ask me, what's wrong? No, I didn't reach out. Nobody came to me. But listen, that is the wrong thing because that, that may be what we say. We get mad when people don't call. We get mad when people don't check on us. But listen, it is built into the very human nature to reach out from day one in our lives. A baby cries. A baby cries. And if a baby doesn't cry, do you know what they say? They don't say, oh, what a nice, calm child you have. If a baby never cries, they say that, that baby has a failure to thrive because it is built into our very nature to reach out. And it is a skill that we have lost, but we must learn 
to redevelop that skill, the skill of reaching out, of getting vulnerable, of entering into, into relationship with other people. And we shrink back because of fear. Psychologists uh, describe that as a need-fear dilemma. When I'm in need, I get scared. I get scared. And when I'm scared, I need you even more. But here's the problem. The need-fear dilemma. If I need you, you might reject me. So because we live in this fallen world, I'm afraid of that. So because of fear, I move away from you. But what I actually need is you. And as I move away from you, my need gets greater because now I'm even hungrier for connection. But the problem is, the more I need you, now the more I'm afraid. The need-fear dilemma. Do you know why? That is why Jesus busted into this planet through that wall that somehow separated us, and he invaded earth. That's Jesus who leaves the 99, and he goes to that one, and he drags them back in because we have that fear. We're that one out there all by ourselves. And he goes to get us. And now, listen to this. As a follower of Jesus, if that describes you, now you are part of his body. And we need to go find that one. Here's another disconnected symptom. Not only depression for some, anxiety for some, but also it could be addiction for some. Addiction, sexual addiction, substance abuse, all kinds of addictions. They're all trying to feel some kind of emptiness in our hearts. But once you get connected again, in God's miraculous way, He begins to feel that emptiness and improvement happens. Churches that heal have learned how to bring their disconnections and their emptiness into this church. Not talking about a building, talking about relationships. Somehow, that church tells them with everything about themselves, they say this, bring your emptiness here. Bring your emptiness here. Bring your weakness here, your hurt here. This is a safe place. And the church begins to surround them. And the church begins pouring life into them. Not perfect people pouring their lives into broken people. This is broken people who are in the process of healing pouring their lives into broken people who are in the process of of healing. That is a church that heals. You do that, we're saying we need to heal. 
in order to make that happen, we're asking you, will you do this whole thing that the, the Navy SEALs do? And it has to start with us. We don't say to other people, hey, do what the Navy SEALs do. No, no, we have to do that. If we're going to be broken people who are in the process of healing, pouring their lives into broken people who are in the process of healing, we have to be in the process of healing, right? So we need to do this. We're asking you, will you do this every single day at some point? Will you stop and take a GPS check-in and ask this, where am I? Where am I? How am I feeling? Why am I feeling? And then ask, where's the enemy? Why maybe? Where, where, can I put, where's the enemy? What's, what might be contributing to me feeling this way? And then ask this so important question, where is my church buddy? Where's my buddy? And if we can allow ourselves to get into a state of need and admit our weaknesses, our weaknesses will actually lead us toward healing. But if we don't, our weaknesses are going to be just covered up and they're going to destroy us. And it's our choice. Dr. Cloud explains how anorexia is a term that actually means without appetite. No hunger. He asks, have you ever tried to feed someone who's not hungry? He said, with an anorexic, you have to tube feed them until they get healthier and they begin to want food again. And for so many of us, we have been emotionally anorexic and we have to get back in touch with our hunger, our emotional needs, our emotional hunger again. And we have to overcome some stuff that we have been taught in our past. Listen to what Paul pleads in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, Oh dear Corinthian friends, we have spoken honestly with you and our hearts were open to you. He says, there is no lack of love on our part. But he says, but you, Corinthians... He says, you have withheld your love from us. And he's saying, I'm asking you to respond as if you were my very own children. Open your hearts to us. This is where and this is how we do all the one another commands that are in the new covenant. And when we do those one another commands in the new covenant with each other, then we will experience tremendous, incredible healing from many emotional symptoms in our lives. Let's pray. God, may we not withhold our hearts from each other. And just pretend that everything's fine and everything's okay. Jesus, will you help us to learn to open our hearts as we are connecting to your body? Your church body, Jesus. And may we gather around each other and inject life from your spirit into 
the connected and connecting church body. Jesus, we want to be a church that heals. And may it begin with each one of us and our willingness to individually journey toward health and toward healing. And Jesus, we ask you to make that so. It's in your name that we pray these things, Jesus. Amen.